This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, Pat is in the heart of Texas, so we bring in the heavy hitters and invite Mr. Luxurious Mitch Belial to co-host the show. Callum Crawford and the Panther City Lacrosse Club are getting closer to a playoff berth. Plus, the intent to blow needs to be a rule. All that and more on OTCB. I am an My name is Teddy Jenner, and boy, have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. And here's a chance to the net. They score. Ryan Tarafenko takes the pass from Jake Withers and puts it past Zach Higgins. And the Halifax Thunderbirds pulling ahead now 6-2. Pace back over to Cook for number six, and he's got it to sock trick for Tanner Cook. Should not have worn my Super Mario socks tonight. I feel like I should give them a toss. Not often you see a sock trick, especially against a team like the Rush. Another lefty. That left side has been one of the few challenges for Doug Jamison. That is a bouncer for Challen Rogers. Welcome back. 8-4, Rock. Hannah's always fresh. Oh, my goodness. Jack Hanna, you are built different. <laughs> what a specimen of an athlete. Quick passing, Bird. Couple of fakes, close inside, score! Stotts with another one. Stotts gets his fourth goal of the ball game. Here's Ball. Find Charlotte Beanies. He'll dangle down low. Now drive in. Scores! Charlotte Beanies with two. Vancouver 0-5-5. Low comes up with it. The captain pushing with Weiss. It's a three on two. Priolo ends it for Buffalo. The captain with the game on his stick, and Buffalo comes into Pechanga Arena to steal one from the San Diego Seals. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the podcast. Steve Priolo in overtime. The Bandits squeak out another come-from-behind victory on the road. It was a fantastic Week 17 as the March to May started strong i'm teddy jenner you can reach me on twitter at teddy jenner pat gregoire is on location at the valero open uh, if you want to follow his exploits he's at p greg but this week on the show we got mr luxurious mitch belisle you can find him at m belisle 85 the show is at otcb underscore podcast or on the instas at otcb podcast mitch what's going on bro this is a big week for you you get OTCB, you get coast to coast. You know, you my to Georgia, like P, P, P. Greggy's trips to Estonia and San Antonio are uh, are my benefit here because I get to I get to enjoy being on all the NLL talk radio with Teddy Jenner. It doesn't get any better than that. Um, you were a busy man. Obviously, spring break for both sides of the border. You've been doing a lot of traveling with your travel teams. What's going on out there? Yes, yeah, so Trilogy Lacrosse, we run lacrosse events all over the country here in the States. 
Um, we've got, we, we host spring trips for high school teams in the U S that are kicking off their seasons. So we had about 40 boys and girls teams in Florida, Arizona, and Nevada over the last three weeks. So our team has been stretched all over and pretty thin, but you know, when temperatures are 80 and sunny and kids are out there playing lacrosse, it's, it's not a bad way to spend a week. You got any other of the lads on your coaching staffs? You know, we have, I'm trying to think who we've, we've gotten some, we've definitely had quite a few of the NL guys come through. We run a box camp in the summer. We've had Schreiber out to that every year. Kieran McCardle's come out. Jake Fox has come out and worked with our team. So a lot of the local guys have done stuff with our box camps. And then we've had a couple of Mark Cockerton has, has coached camps with us for years. So we got a good crew of, uh, of former players and current players that have rolled through at Trilogy events. Uh, well, let's just jump into it. Uh, road teams went six and two, or sorry, yeah, road teams were six and two on the weekend. Uh, only Vancouver and Vegas were home winners. Um, when you look back at week 17, kind of what's the main storyline, you think? I mean, the, the, the Tucker out lymphoma, that, that just the emotion around that game, the mm-hmm. fact that they were able to get the win, and then you, you see they hang the, they hang the, the fighter's robe and in the locker that's dedicated to Tucker. I mean, that just touches my heartstrings Mm -hmm. from a, just a sports moment, you know, sports being bigger than just the sport thing. Um, That, that, that was a really special one and and a huge win there for Las Vegas is it, they don't take anything away from the emotional piece. Like in terms of making the playoffs, that, that is a crucial win for them. Um, And then the San Diego versus Buffalo game, I mean, that's like you get two heavyweights, toe-to-toe, possible championship pre-cap. Um, mm-hmm. It comes down to the end, and just a, a phenomenal performance by both goalies was was a lot of fun to watch. But those were the two that probably probably got me going the most over the course of the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. It started on Friday, San, San Diego, with a, a dominant performance over Panther City. We'll talk with Callum Crawford in a little bit about sort of how that night went, but Berg goes for 10 points, O-Rig with 36 saves. Uh, Panther City just looked outmatched in that game. Was that maybe a telling sign of where they are, you think? Or was it just San Diego at their best? I feel like this Panther City team kind of offensively, they really, when they have everyone contributing, and it's like, to me, it's like Dodds, has kind of found a unique role there on the right side with Callum coming in and you even got, and, and you got the success of Donville over there. So it's kind of like, where does he fit in? And when mm-hmm. he thrives, they have success offensively. And when he doesn't, you know, maybe because those two are getting more touches, maybe they're having more success. It just, it feels like all three of them have to be in sync on that right side for it to really, um, for them to excel offensively. Uh, and, and for whatever reason, that just wasn't, wasn't the case on Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it was a an well-executed game plan by Patrick Merrill and, and the San Diego Seals. Obviously, they had to travel the next day to get home. But let's start with the, the Toronto Rock at Albany. The Rock held on late. They clinched a playoff spot. They're in. They can take a, big, a bit of a deep breath. Uh, they booked their spot. Albany just continues to stumble and go the other way. Halifax at Philadelphia. Uh, Halifax only trailed for five minutes on that, in that game. But a, a bigger question for me, do you think the Philadelphia Wings can re-sign Mitch Jones in the offseason? I mean, they they need they need to, is the bottom line, because <laughs> he has been such a shot in the arm to that offense that was lacking kind of a true number one guy. And it really you, you look at Joe Rosateritz and he had kind of did that 
in Albany prior to moving over to Philadelphia, but it was more of because he had to. Um, now he's in that off-ball role, him and, and McIntosh. And when those two are off-ball, they can be so dangerous together. And and then you get Mitch Jones drawing all the attention. You get Resiterrets coming off a of motion, coming off like catching and shooting quickly. He's really a, a big threat. So I think they got to keep Mitch Jones there in Philadelphia if they want to have success. And then the left side is the is the is the question: Who do you put with Mitch Jones? That's going to be make him most successful. Is it is it Blaze Rudin and Matt Rambo? Is it someone new? Is it some more of a small water bug type that can slip into the spaces? Not that. I mean, Blaze Reardon's excellent at finding those inside spaces and finishing in tight, but um, but I don't know. It might be a, it might be a different uh, a different face that's with him on that left side. The game you were calling Georgia at New York. Georgia jumps out to a nine-one lead. Andrew Q has thirty-eight points in his last five games. They've won four of five. Georgia is starting to make some noise. Brett Dobson is looking more and more comfortable in the net, but a huge loss for New York if they were ever going to make a run. Yeah, it really felt like they were on the up and up after two wins in a row. They got that huge win over the wings and then they beat Albany and it's like, okay, if we can, if, if they can get over this Georgia swarm hump, they might, they might be able to make a run at this thing. And it was just like the wheels all kind of fell off back to where they had been a few weeks ago, where it's like the defense was, was rough early on. And then they shorted up and then goaltending struggled for a couple minutes yeah. there. And that was enough of a struggle, a full quarter where they just dug too deep of a hole. Cause you look at the, the second, third and fourth quarter, they actually outscored them seven to six, mm-hmm. but it was just too deep of a hole too fast in that first quarter. You've been with this riptide for the last few years as the color analyst with Dave Lino, you guys are done for the year, no more home games. But when you assess what New York has done off the floor to get more fans in the building um, as a market that sort of continues to struggle. How was the fan base this year? It was, it was continually getting better. I think one thing that all the players and, and front office points to is the passion and the knowledge of the fans. So you got fans there that were around for the saints days, right? So you got yep. fans that are kind of old school NLL fans. And then you've got the young kids that are, lacrosse is a hotbed long island lacrosse is a hotbed so you have those and and sometimes i actually joke is like i think hotbeds might sometimes be the worst place to have professional Mm -hmm. franchises because kids are so busy parents are so busy actually playing the sport that maybe they don't go and watch it as much um but but long island is one of those markets where you have such a socioeconomic mix of people across the island that if you can get those blue collar fans in to come in and, and come to a game, maybe that they wouldn't go to at an Islanders game, new UBS arena. It's a great way to bring the whole Island together. It's right in the middle of long Island. So you can kind of reach from all the different areas. And I think they've done a nice job of reaching out to all those different touch points of the community. And hopefully that'll continue to build. Also Jeff T like the word <laughs> generational player, like you come to see a generational talent, right? That's that's, you will come to a game just to see Jeff T. And Sometimes what he does is just not fair. I, I tweeted out on, on Twitter, uh, tweeted on Twitter, obviously. Um, I put out on Twitter, I think anytime you just give New York a penalty shot and Jeff Teat's going to take it, just go back to center and face it off. Like there's no point in wasting anybody's time. It's like a, it's like a gimme in golf, yeah. right? Three, it's like three inches in. Just, just go ahead and pick the ball up. Uh, Calgary at Saskatchewan, another statement game from Calgary. Tanner Cook gets his first sock trick. Um, this is a team that is starting to play their best lacrosse. And, and if you're going up against Calgary, you got to be really worried because they can beat you on so many different ways. And, you know, we lauded Christian Del Bianco and he's still obviously 
probably going to win goalie of the year this year. He's going to be in the MVP running, but he hasn't got an assist in the last two games. And I don't know if that's teams conservatively trying to make an effort to limit his outlets, but this Calgary team is just so dangerous all over the floor. And I, you know, I don't get as much of a chance to watch the entire West games. Typically I'm broadcasting an East game during the beginning of those games, but I tuned in the back half. I mean, it, it is just amazing. Cook, the way he is able to score in mm. so many different ways, like every goal he scored was different. He had an yeah. outside shot. He had a dodging shot underneath. He had a mid-range shot. He got a rebound. He scored in the power play. It's like when you have that kind of range, a player with that kind of range, and then, oh, by the way, you got Jesse King scoring goals. You've got uh, Tyler Pace, who's who's been great. Like they just, they really seem to have it all from all different spots on the floor. And then the, the Bianco uh, outlets are just ridiculous. Buffalo at San Diego. Speaking of goaltenders, Frank Chiliano and Matt Vince going save for save. They combined for 86 points, but it's Steve Priolo getting the winner in overtime. We spoke with Dane Smith on Coast to Coast this week, and he just mentioned how awesome it is to see a guy like Priolo, who does so much hard work in their back end and has in previous years been so successful in transition. He's obviously taken a bit of a step back because he's gotten a little bit older, but for him to score that goal and for the team to score that that victory on the road against San Diego, like you said, a, a team many predict they'll see in the finals, that's a huge win for Buffalo. Huge win, and and I couldn't have agreed more with the way that kind of Dane framed that because every time when we're doing our prep calls, I talk to anyone from from the Bandits. They talk about how basically Priolo doesn't get the love he deserves or just yeah. does more than he gets credit for um, all over the floor. And so I was I was personally, you know, as a as a player, Bandits are always one of those teams you just love to hate. Um, but even I was excited to see him score that goal. And, and that was really cool for him to get that reward. And especially in a defensive battle, right? It's only fitting that when two defenses hold each other to six goals, that yeah. the, that the seventh goal comes from the back end. So that was, that was pretty cool to see. And I don't know if you caught it. The one thing that stood out to me the most at the end of that game was, did you catch Audi stats, just given an earful to Kevin Crowley behind the play? He was, he was letting him have it. And it's a fine line, right? Cause it's like, yeah. Austin stats really, he gave his everything in that game. And then there was a, a little bit of a lazy pass that jumped out of Dobie's stick at the end that led to that breakaway. Don't know exactly, you know, whose fault that is, but, but you got to give that a little bit of time to breathe. I think after the game before. You yeah. Start I, I, yeah. I think after the, the victory on, uh, in Panther city the night before and the travel back and, and the intensity of that game and how close it was and how impactful it was for San Diego's at a playoff berth on the line to kind of come out on the end when, like you said, Audi is one of the best competitors in the game and he, his fire will always burn with victories and, and it will fizzle with, and it will also maybe even get hotter that fire with a loss. So uh, yeah, I, I think that that's just a team and it probably, you know, maybe some inexperience of, of a team that hasn't really matched their potential and what they really could do over the first three and a half years they've been there. I think maybe there's some frustration, but I think that fire is good for any team because it just shows guys that want to win and are competing each and every night. The Vancouver Warriors continue to compete each and every night. The story of Aaron Bold is maybe one of the better stories of the back half of the NLL season since he's come into the lineup. They grind out an important win over Colorado. Um, they almost let it slip away again, uh, but they found a way to win. And, you know, maybe 
the playoffs are a little too far to their reach. Uh, a couple scenarios can knock them out this weekend that we'll talk about. But this team's starting to show some grit. Um, but for Colorado, like we talk about some of those teams in the middle of the pack, a loss they just didn't need. It just seems like Colorado always finds himself clawing back from being in holes, right? And, yeah. and that's not just this year, even last year. And last year they were able to always kind of get their head above water and enough to win the championship, which is which is unbelievably impressive from what I saw at the beginning of the year to all that they faced with the injuries. Uh, but it just seems like they find themselves in these holes. They got they got to start coming out with a little bit more fire and maybe getting some leads that they can then hold on to and and expand. Um, you know, Ryan Lee has been a little up and down since coming back. I think if they can get consistent production from him, that's going to be huge. But yeah, this Vancouver team they've they've got they've got some interesting tools and you know maybe it took Mitch Jones being out of that lineup to force Charlotte Bedias to do a little bit more and, and to open up some space for some of their young talent, Keegan ball and, and others to, to have that opportunity to handle the ball a little bit more and to try to be a little bit more creative. You see the, the behind the back goal from, uh, mm-hmm. from Scanlan and like, they're doing some things that maybe wouldn't happen if they had a true number one guy like Mitch Jar. They, they have Mitch Jones carrying the ball for majority of the offense. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Vancouver does in the draft this year, what they go for if 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 they, you know, do what maybe Philadelphia can't and bring Mitch Jones back and maybe it's a different Mitch Jones and maybe they really try to build that team around him, but they've done an excellent job in the draft the last few years, obviously Charlotte Beatties, they've got Owen Grant coming in, but Reed Bowering is just a special talent. He hasn't taken a face-off all year. He's leading the league in loose balls right now after 15 games. As a defender and as a guy that that prided himself on on you know loose balls and doing the dirty work, how crazy is it to watch him do what he does best? Those between the lines plays, I mean, it's like you really can't appreciate them as a casual fan, I don't think, until you've been on a bench, until you've understood what it means to go from defending three straight to getting a tough loose ball and getting your offensive ball and then scoring and and getting that momentum back. Like like those little plays, you know, they obviously he gets a lot of time on the stat sheet for the loose balls and the block shots mm-hmm. and the cause turnovers, but a lot of them are just so much more crucial than a one loose ball on a stat will, will provide in a scoreboard. Um, and I think he provides that spark and that energy that just it electrifies the bench and it gives you so much energy and gives your defense a break sometimes after yeah. they've been on their heels. So those are, those are things that I think like, you know, as teammates, you recognize in other teammates. And it seems like Vancouver is starting to feed off that energy and, and it's resulting in success. And then, like you said, the Aaron bold thing is, is really cool and special. Will he be back next year? What do you think? Is he coming? Is he got, has he got five to 10 more years in him? Is he challenging? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's time? five to 10, but I, you know, I, I still don't know if Aiden Walsh, um, is the answer he's he wasn't this year i don't think he'll be ready next year so i think if you can keep boldy around for one or two more years to to let aiden walsh continue to groom or maybe you find another route um but i think if i i can't see any scenario where aaron bold is not backed with this club next year after what he's done after the emotion of coming back and and you know how his first stint with the organization ended bringing him back and, and the success he's done and the professionalism he's done it with just speaks volumes about Aaron Bold as a person. And I, I don't see why you wouldn't 
want a character like that in your locker room. Uh, the final game of the weekend, Rochester at Vegas. We talked about it. The emotion of Tucker out night. Uh, a huge win for the Dogs. Rob Hellyer, nine points. Jack Hanna, four goals. Landon Kells had another big game. Uh, their defense still plays consistent lacrosse. It was just a tough night for Rochester with the travel. I, I want to get your perspective on Jack Hanna. Um, the fact that, you know, he-, he he did have some box experience, you know, coming from the Ohio Box League and and his years under Bill Tierney and Matt Brown in Denver – but when you watch him play and to see what he does, does it give you hope that there are more Americans that will see that and be like, yeah, I, I can do what Jack Hanna's doing? Absolutely. I mean, there was one of his goals where he just absolutely shook his defender and then kind of took two or three steps and let it fly from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I feel like previously, and we talked a little, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this with, um, with Callum, but like previously there is, you know, there, you could cram it in and just kind of pack it in. There was just no space to operate. Right. I think teams have and players have gotten so athletic that you have to press out a little bit, which Mm -hmm. then opens up space for these athletic Dodgers to actually get some hands free room and time. And so it's less of a compacted kind of grinded out game and more of a finesse game with space to dodge and move and, and go back and forth. And I think Jack Hanna is a prime example of how that can work. If you have teammates that can create those lanes and that space, and you have a little bit of time to do, do a hitch step or, or try to attack topside and then come back underneath, you're going to have opportunities. Then you have to finish in tight. Um, and he's been able to, to do that from both sides, but, but his outside and mid-range shooting is really kind of carrying him and, and allowing him. I mean, I, every goal in that game, I was like, is it, he's like springier or like, stretch your nets because like or these guys just shooting that much harder because the net the ball was like almost flying out of the back of the net every time i don't know if you noticed that <laughs> uh you pick up on things more than i do sometimes uh, but that that's okay that's that's a defensive mindset from you um all right that's week 17 in a nutshell uh so what are the scenarios for the playoffs as we go into week 18 buffalo has clinched toronto has clinched the nighthawks will clinch a playoff berth with a win over philadelphia Albany will be eliminated from playoff contention with a loss at Panther City or a Colorado win versus Vegas and New York eliminated uh, with a loss at Georgia and either a Colorado win or a Georgia win and a Philadelphia win over Rochester and an Albany loss at Panther City. So a lot of scenarios there with Rochester, obviously the biggest one, Rochester can clinch a win uh, or a playoff berth with a win at Philadelphia. We'll get into that game uh, in a little bit, but two are in one more can get there. It's getting tighter and tighter in the East out West San Diego can clinch with a win at Calgary or a Vegas loss to Colorado. Calgary can clinch pretty much the same way with a win over San Diego, a Las Vegas loss at Colorado or a Panther city win over Albany and Vancouver is eliminated with a loss at Saskatchewan and a Colorado win in Vegas. The fact that the wild card is getting more and more in jeopardy and into play is my thumbs up for this weekend. And I absolutely love the fact that everybody is still alive with four weeks left. That makes every game that much more important. We're not seeing teams kind of having to be like, okay, well, let's see what we got in the cupboard. Let's see what guys want to play for spots next year. Every game is maximum importance right now, and everyone can still go on a run. 
whether their percentages are 85% they make the playoffs or 5%. It's the best time of year right now. And I love, even though I hate using this word, the parody in the NLL right now. Yeah, these these scenario things, it makes my head hurt. I feel like uh, this is not a skill of mine, so I'm really glad that the league does all these computations and sends them <laughs> out to us. Because I, you know, especially as a as a player, you're always like, okay, just lock in, focus. If we win our games, we put ourselves in the best position possible. But then you get to these scenarios towards the back half of the season. You're like, well, even if we win all of our games, we still need help from this team, and this team's got to beat them. So. This is, like you said, this is like one of the most exciting times, especially for us as, as kind of the uninterested parties just watching or interested in the sport, but uninterested in one specific team having success. It's great to be able to just sit back and watch them fight and claw because every game has such serious implications and and every game, you know, feels like a playoff game. Um, all right. We got a thumbs up. You got a thumbs up for me? Did I put you on the spot? You, yeah, you do. My thumbs up is shooting on the run otr shooting i feel like this season for whatever reason the the sweep over the top has been more successful and we're gonna get we're gonna have to get you know our stats army on it to to do the breakdowns get ty marrow another uh, another stat to break down i know he loves doing that he'll be pumped for another assignment but, yeah i'm sure <laughs> but the the and and again, you know, I'm clearly biased to the games that I that I get to see live. But Andrew Q scored four goals, almost identical. If you go back and watch it, four identical kind of sweep over the top on the run. And I think part of that is the the amount of players now that are playing college lacrosse, college field lacrosse, um, and that ability to shoot on the run. It's really difficult for a goalie to continue moving with the shooter and get their feet set as that player is changing their angle in the net. So you see like Dylan Ward comes way out on shooters. Um, but for goalies who sit back in their net, like a Matt Vince or um, Nick DeMood, like they have to really continue moving their feet, and taking short choppy steps as that Dodger sweeps across the top. So shooting on the run, my thumbs up, keep shooting on the run shooters, let it fly, keep the goalies moving and then aim for hips. Uh, do you have a thumbs down? I do. My thumbs down is uh, a little more on the on the serious side, and oh. you know we all have our uh, our platforms that we use. And and granted, like lacrosse might not be as um, widespread or or, or uh, knowledgeable, but I mean this is something that hits close to home. Like the the common sense gun reform here in the United States taking a hard turn here, but. It just to see another school shooting and I've got two little kids and it just, you know, makes me sick to my stomach. And the fact that we keep going through this over and over and, you know, not that bad things don't happen north of the border in Canada. And there've been plenty of incidents even recently, but to the degree that it happens, in the United States is, is just unbelievable. And, and something needs to change. And I know this isn't necessarily, you know, the, the place where we dive deep into politics, but but it's something that I'm just so sick of hearing about. And, and my heart goes out to everyone who's affected by it, but it does not go out to the people who are talking about thoughts and prayers who are in the position to, to change it and still don't. So, Well, I think the reason we have these platforms, Mitch, is so that we can bring these things to light. And obviously it's, it's, it's gut-wrenching. Every time you open up social media and you see another tweet talking about this and I just, it, it really is sickening the the fact that you can't the the United States government can't figure it out. They can't figure something to to curb this, to slow it down, even just to cut it in half. You know that 
there are so many questions with unanswered answers and it's just breaks my heart every time we see it. And it's not an easy transition um, to go from talking about great things about lacrosse to something as important about this, but it is definitely a conversation that continually needs to happen. And, and hopefully one day it will be something that we don't have to talk about. Uh, my thumbs down this week um, goes back to the Philadelphia game and the goal that Clark Peterson scored when Jake Withers got the penalty. And everybody knows this situation and everyone has probably seen the goal. So I would love to see the NLL bring intent to blow the whistle into their rule book. So let's go back to that play real quickly. If everyone remembers, there was a loose ball. Jake Withers runs through the crease to check a defender who has the ball. So it's listed as goalie interference on the penalty sheet, but it doesn't actually make contact with the goaltender. It's more of a crease violation penalty because he used the crease as an advantage to gain position on the defender and made contact with him. So that's where the penalty comes into play. After speaking with Brian Lemon, director of lacrosse ops with the National Lacrosse League this week, I got him to sort of break down the play for me. And as he explained it to me, the play happens. Withers goes through the crease, makes the check. The ball pops out right to Clark Peterson. It's bang, bang. He one times it in the back of the net. Referee Andrew Eccleston has his hand up to call the penalty. The ball goes to Clark Peterson. And even before he can blow the whistle... Peterson one times it in the net and then the whistle goes. So I said, well, shouldn't the play be automatically blown dead as soon as a Halifax player touches it? And he, and the obvious answer is yes, but it happened so quickly that echo zone didn't have time to kind of call the penalty, turn around, watch the ball, find it in the net. And so he immediately waves it off. And so as he waves it off, the referees now come together and have the huddle as they're supposed to do on every play whenever there is confusion. And so within that confusion, they discuss what happened. And in that discussion, they ruled that the ball went in before the whistle was blown, which was exactly what happened. Yes. Was Ecclestone meaning to blow the whistle as soon as Peterson touched the ball? Absolutely. But intent to blow the whistle isn't in the NLL rulebook. It's not like the NHL where there's a frozen puck and the referees mean to blow the whistle, the puck squeezes through the goalie and goes in the net. So what happens in that game is now there's all this confusion because it's a good goal, but there's also a penalty, which should never happen when it's the same team. So now Paul Day has to throw the flag. But within the criteria of the NLL's challenge, Paul Day can't challenge that goal. And so the referees have their huddle. They explain it to Paul Day. Andrew Ecclestone goes on the mic and says, the reason there's no goal is because the goal went in before the whistle happened. So Paul Day challenges. That's not something he can challenge. Chris Williams goes and reviews it. Again, intent to blow the whistle isn't there. So as it was called properly by the initial wave off of the no goal, because Ecclestone knew, well, he touched it. It obviously shouldn't count because it should be blown dead, but he doesn't have intent. They discuss it. They talk about it. They can't review it. And so in essence, Paul Day should never have been able to throw that flag. 
but he did it because he wanted to have the discussion. He wanted the referees to talk it over and look at it. And they, as much as Philly fans hate it, and it it sort of almost cost them game, but didn't cost them game. It was a momentum thing. The referees got it right. And as much as we hate it, and as much as we think, oh, it should never have counted because Halifax touched the ball, because the rule states it's when the whistle blows and the fact that the ball went in before the whistle blew, it's a good goal. Hate it as much as you want. The referees systematically broke it down, reviewed it, conversed about it, got it right. Well, Teddy, I saw this exact same scenario last year, New York Riptide versus Buffalo Bandits. I believe it was Larson Sundown came in with an illegal pick and cross-checked the Bandits defenseman who was on ball. I believe it was Jeff Teed. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and look. But but the shooter shot and scored before the ref could blow the whistle. Right. But it was a penalty. But in my head, you have to change that rule to your thumbs down. You have to change that rule because otherwise, here's my strategy. I'm setting up two guys on the top of the crease, and as soon as someone takes a shot, I'm tackling the goalie, right? I'm tackling the goalie out of the way because that ball is going in the goal, and even though I get the penalty, it's a goal, right? So that's that's my strategy to beat this intent to whistle move. You just tackle the goalie before the ref can blow the whistle, ball goes in the net. I think as soon as an offensive penalty is called, regardless of when the whistle is blown, as soon as that offensive team touches it, it's a dead ball. It's got yeah. to be. They have to change that rule. Yeah, and I think that'll be something the competition committee will probably look at during the offseason. According to Brian Lemon, it was in the rule book a few years ago. But for some reason, it was taken out. And I'm not, he didn't give me a reason why. I actually don't think I asked why. Stupid me. But I, I do believe it needs to come in because I don't think teams will go to the extent that Mitch Belial would go to and start tackling goaltenders. But, you know, we've now seen it in two in back to back seasons where it's been a bang bang play uh, and it's 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 always sort of going to be the offending team is the offense because that's how it's generally going to happen. But, yeah, I agree. We've got to get intent to blow the whistle in the rule book to kind of alleviate some of these gray areas and confusing areas as well. And Teddy, I'm trying to think of, OK, what situation would possibly develop? Maybe, right, re, they, they check the ball. Withers checks the ball, it goes into Clark Peterson's stick and then falls out of his stick into a Halifax player stick who fires it down the floor and scores. Oh, sorry, into a I'm sorry, into a wings player stick who fires it down the floor and scores somehow. Yeah. So it's like it shouldn't have been blown dead right away because the offense touched it and then it results in a goal for the team that would have had the power play. Anyway, that's the only situation I can see where that makes sense, right? That you want to keep the play going until the actual whistle blows. So the, so the rule, so 55.4 is the official after officials whistle rule. And it says when the ball passes through the plane of the goal, after one of the officials has sounded his whistle for any reason, including the sounding of an inadvertent whistle, the specific point of reference is the official sounding of the whistle and determination of the precise point in stopping the play. So in the Halifax Wings game, the whistle never happened until after the goal was called. So the when the whistle blows is the stoppage of play, so the goal has already happened. So to go to your inadvertent whistle rule is 55-15. Should there be an inadvertent whistle, play will be determined stopped and no goal will result if the whistle occurred prior to the ball crossing the plane of the goal. So in your situation, Withers gets the penalty it goes to Peterson. He gets checked before Echo Zone has the chance to blow his whistle. 
Higgins picks it up. There's an empty net at the other end. They chuck it down scores. That inadvertent whistle would deny that goal from happening. So there you go. All there right. are some rules that work in that favor. There are some rules that don't. But in the end, we need intent to blow in the rule book to take away a lot of these gray areas. Calum Crawford is entering his or is in his 17th season. He's on the verge of 1,200 points in his illustrious career, but he's still searching for that all-elusive title. He's with the Panther City Lacrosse Club. They are in a playoff position. What special things can this special player do with this special club as he goes two-on-one? Mitch and I right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Joined now by Callum Crawford of Panther City. This is, what, Team 9? Did we got to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. You know, filling in uh, the gaps. It's been tryout weeks and we had our high school tryouts, so I'm making a lot of difficult phone calls and the joys of being a uh, youth sport and high school sport director. So it's been a week. Yeah, Mitch and I were talking about, you know, his journey through spring break tournaments and stuff like that. How busy are you right now away from the NLL with all you're doing in Oklahoma? Yeah, this is a super busy time for us uh, because we actually shut down my club during the spring. We don't want to try to drive a wedge between competitive and the rec season. Uh, Big believer that we need the rec for the growth of the sport and we don't want to pull the competitive kids out of it. So we support the rec during this time and, and spring is rec time. So we actually turn into kind of like a staffing company. We get hired to work with all the rec organizations, not all, but a lot of the rec organizations, we, we run certain ones. Um, and then we also all coach high schools as well. So I think it we're three to 9 PM Monday to Thursday. Um, and then I leave Fridays and, you know, spend the daytime hustling my kids to school, picking them up from school and trying to be a professional athlete at the same time. How many teams do you have? Are you in charge of? Um, Clubs, two of the clubs. um, But like I coach like almost everybody. So are we actually are hands on kind of more like technical directors. Most of the teams have like dad coaches and stuff, Mm -hmm. but we're in such a green area that they're they're dads that are learning what the sport is as their kids are so we tend to do all the educational side of things in practice and try to coach the coaches and coach the players and then and whatnot so uh yeah we uh what do we have i don't there's a ton we we go monday to thursday one hour sessions with each one all the way up to high school time and and do it yeah there's there's just a ton and then we have other coaches that work for us as well that get plugged into other programs and help them and and so on Tulsa lacrosse talk to me about where it is where it is you, you mentioned green but where where is field lacrosse where is box lacrosse in the Tulsa landscape and how quickly can it catch up to maybe some of the hotbed areas yeah it's growing like crazy honestly if if to be honest even if I did I watched a high school game from my first year here and I, I watched it against a high school game from I think last year or this season I forget and it's night and day um, the level of play not just obviously stick skills is a huge part of it and massive part of it, but also just understanding lacrosse IQ and spacing and, and how the game is supposed to be played, not just offensively and defensively, but between the lines and, and clearing and, and all that stuff. So it's growing in a sense of not just numbers of kids playing is really good. I don't know if the, the rec numbers, I think they took a little bit of a dip through COVID like anything else. Um, but us on a competitive side, 
is is thriving and we're actually starting programs to try to help on the rec side um putting our coaches into schools you know free to the schools to to do lacrosse sessions and uh introduce lacrosse and so on but um the level of play is getting good we've got some random gems here and there that go off to some really good schools uh, a lot of kids are starting to understand there is a potential future in the sport so it, it's getting good for us we we just do so much as a club and we're, we try to we have this idea and philosophy that if we do more than the rest of the country we'll catch up to the rest of the country quicker right we're probably not going to catch up if we're doing the same as everybody that's better than us or the as much which is hard right because you get into that burnout question and concern that a lot of people have i'm not a big believer in burnout for something that you love but some people are right um so we got to be mindful of that, but we do so much. And that's our goal is to try to catch up to the hotbeds. We're a long, long way from there, but I think uh, we're trending in the right direction. Are you also doing box across with them down there? Yeah, we, so we didn't do box at the start. Uh, there's a, another entity here that labeled something in the summer called box across. And it was basically just field across inside did the very best that they could. They had no way of knowing what, what it was or how to do it. So, um, we had to spend a lot of time re-educating people on what actual box across was. So we did like intro to box and whatnot, slowly did random one travel team here and there for people to see it. Um, now we run full high school box across league. Uh, I think we had five or six travel box teams this winter, which was awesome. Uh, we have all the way down to novice playing, which is really good. And the good part of it is everybody, once they get exposed to it, they, they think this is way better than field lacrosse. They wish they could only do this. Uh, I think they're seeing the benefits of box across to their field game, understanding there's not really a uh, future in box across for what we, I don't preach professional lacrosse. I preach college lacrosse and getting a great education through the sport. Um, but them understanding how regardless of their position, the box game is going to make them better at field and they'll just have a ton of fun while doing it. Is everyone in Tulsa finishing with the patented Callum Crawford jumping twister now? <laughs> I do not teach my tricks. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm one, of those coaches, I'm one of those coaches that honestly says, like, do as I say, not as I do, because there's so much that I do technically wrong and, like, not how you want people to play the game that I try to steer as far away from what I do and the play even for myself as a professional, the, the players I admire the most are the ones that are like 180 degree of what my skill set is. They're the ones that I wish I could do, or I took the time to learn and do the things that they do. So, um, Take us back to the evolution of your career as you talk about, you know, do as I say, not as I do. 2006, you, you're a rookie in Calgary. What was Callum Crawford like? Uh, a kid who had no clue how to play lacrosse and was just really athletic and could go one-on-one. Um, that year was the biggest eye opener to what lacrosse was. It was day one of learning how to play lacrosse, which is everything without the ball. I could do things with the ball, but I was, I was at a junior C level without the ball. And who, who, who were some of the, who were some of the influences that kind of helped shape you early on in those first years? Uh, I talk about a lot. Tracy Kuleski was the one that took the time with me instead of shunning me and being like, this kid's terrible. He doesn't know how to do anything. Uh, he recognized there was a certain skill set that had potential and it was a kid who was just never taught. Um, so I'm so incredibly appreciative and I'm indebted to him forever for 
actually taken the time with me instead of some other people who've just, you know, told me to go beat it and kick rocks. Um, so I'm very indebted to him. And then I've, I've stolen so much. I watch used to be a huge film junkie. Obviously uh, I've said it before. Dan Dawson is my goat um, who I think is the best that, that could be argued in so many ways, but uh, I stole so much from his game to try to help me be better. Um, and then lots, man, I watch so many people off ball and stuff like that. I'm still not very good off ball, but uh, you can just learn from watching so many people. So, but Dan Dawson probably had the most influence of how I play the game of anybody else. You, you mentioned Tracy Kluski, you know, as a member of that Calgary team, Kyle Goundry was also a member of that Calgary team. And, and now he's your OC and Tracy's your head coach. What's that dynamic like between the three of you guys? It's good. It's a, uh, there's a fun, there's a level of respect, I think, which is, it's cool from them to me in the sense of this is a veteran. He obviously, you know, has been able to stay in this league for long enough and uh, vice versa. You know, I, I had a, a good conversation with Tracy about something about buying into something. And, you know, the thing I told him right away is, man, I buy into whatever you tell me and whether I've, I, I did it with action or not is I, I genuinely credit him to be one of the best lacrosse minds in the game. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a fun dynamic. It's a little bit, obviously significantly different from when I played with them, but it's, it's different than, you know, when you're younger and you have a coach or when I was playing with Chris, Chris Hall versus, you know, these were two of my peers at once upon a time. And it was, it's fun to see it have gone full circle. And you're able to understand Tracy's thick Peterborough accent because you spoke it way back in 2006. <laughs> I have no clue what he's saying half the time. He is yelling at us in practice and screaming direction. And I'm literally turning to guys being like, I honestly have no clue what he's saying. I don't speak Peterborough. I just don't. <laughs> Especially when there's a dip in too. It makes you even yeah. worse. Yeah. Um, what's it like playing with this team? Obviously, you know, a, a young franchise that's starting to make some noise and you've been a part of some young franchises in the National Cross League. And I think maybe this one's different than others. What's so special about this group? Yeah, this one's definitely different. Um, you know, New York was a very similar young franchise. Uh, just, and I, I don't know if I can pinpoint what the difference is, but it is really different. You know, it has its own set of really great young stars that are going to be studs in this league for a long time. You know, obviously in Donville, Will Malcolm, uh, Dodsey. Um, and then the defense is same thing as it's, it's, Anytime you're an expansion team, for the most part, you're built off of uh, outcasts that couldn't make other teams or were, were the last guys that people were willing to let go, right? Um, this group is very interesting because I, I do think as much as he's a lunatic, uh, Steve Toll is a really good coach. He gets the most out of his players. Uh, I, I've said it, the, the d- director or the creator of Shorzy needs to make a Steve Toll uh, TV show. It would be incredible just the character, the human being on the bench, off the bench, everything. He, he deserves his own sitcom. Um, but he is, he's been able to take this group of really athletic uh, defenders and, and make them play a certain way that allows us to be good every day. Obviously our goalie's helping us a ton, but uh, the back end has done such an incredible job all season. And um, in first glance, you wouldn't look at them and be like, you know, this is a stellar defensive group but they're the way they play the game they they are and i think certain players are starting to prove themselves to be special so um it's just a fun group to be a part of you know it's uh it's a everybody needs to contribute or we're not going to be very good it's not ever going to rely on you know with new york we were going to go as jeff went 
you know, obviously our goaltending and, and defense had to be there to support it. But in New York, when I was there, we were only going to be as good as Jeff was going to be. And, and that's kudos to him being the best player in the world. I'm a huge Jeff T fan. Um, this is a little bit different. This is a, everybody's got to be on point. We all have to pull our, pull our weight for this team to be good. And if we're all not pulling it, we're not going to be very good. Where do you see the, where do you see the, the kind of next step for this team? Like what, what is going to take you guys over that hump? You talked about, there's a lot of young guys. Everyone has to do a little bit of everything. Like what is going to be the next thing that gets you guys over that hump to get in the playoffs and, and make some noise here? Consistency. Uh, we've shown glimpses and I think we've shown steady glimpses of how good the team can be. Um, you know, beating a team like Sask, as much as they may be up and down this year, that is an incredible team and always has been, always will be. Anytime uh, Derek Keaton's got his hand on something, it's going to be one of the best in the league, whether the record shows it or not. Um, you know, we shot, showed it by beating Colorado, being able to beat Colorado the way we did. They're not a bad team. Dylan Ward, you can make an argument for me, probably my opinion, the best goalie in the league. Um, defending champs for a reason for us to beat teams like that. It says something, but it's just got to be consistent, right? We can't come out and, and show as we did against San Diego. Now that part of that is San Diego being really good. Um, but they also had us at our worst and not that there's an excuse or a reason. We just played so incredibly poorly against them. Uh, I'd love to see us play when we're playing as good as we can. How do we compare? Right. I'm not saying we for sure are beating them or not, but I'd love to see when we're playing at our level that we're trying to be consistently at. Uh, can we hang with a team like that? I think we can. I think we really have the tools to do it, but we need the proof to show it to back up those words. The game you mentioned Donville and Malcolm and Dodsey and Jeff T. The game's in a great position with those young guys. Um, how blown away are you each and every year with the talent that continues to come into this league? Yeah, it's the league is so much better now than when we first when I first came into it. And, you know, Teddy, when we were there, Mitch, when you would have first came in, it's, you know, it is so talented now. It is so athletic in comparison. It is so it's coached so much better now than it was back when we were young and rookies and so on systematically preparation and uh, the level of athletes and stuff. So it's fun to see, you know, it's going to suck when one day these young guys are making millions of dollars playing this game and we're going to have to have been the guys who, uh, you know, we're scraping pennies to be able to feed ourselves while doing it. But um, it's exciting to, you know, the NL is going to be a good product for a long time. And we got to keep getting these American guys who are doing it playing, right? I think that truly is the key, not just for a sales perspective, um, but some of the best players in the world are, are American born field players that just are not trying the game. And, the more those, hopefully those guys can see the success that other American guys are having in it. It lights a fire for them to do it. I know there's other business type reasons why guys don't play, but I think there's a lot of really good American born players that should be playing in our league. It would make our league even better. Um, and hopefully it would be good for their brand as well. Well, you see the success that Tom Schreiber and Jack Hanna and some of these names are having. And that I mentioned it on coast to coast yesterday. I mean, you get Tom Schreiber shooting down the alley in his left hand, like you're getting so athletic that, you know, some of the old adages, like don't shoot from the opposite side of the floor. Don't plan the kind of throwing some of those out the window because guys are so good now. Mm -hmm. um, I guess flipping the script a little bit. So, so, you know, one thing, Panther city, one of the nicest buildings in the, in the league, your front office is phenomenal. I got to give a shout out to Andy S where he does an awesome job. He um, really does. He really does. One thing, I mean, the, the elephant in the room, like there's just not fans coming out to the seats right now 
give give the Callum Crawford sales pitch. Why should the state of Texas, not just not just Fort Worth, why should the entire state of Texas flock to Dickey's Arena over the next few weeks to watch you guys go on this playoff run? It is the best professional sport for anybody to be a spectator to be a part of. Obviously, they got to figure out. Um, I'm not in on those calls. I don't know the the business strategy behind it, but they got to get people in the seats and they got to get people to experience it. We've all we all say it. we've all been saying it. If we can just get somebody into a game, they'll be hooked, and and we that'll be a return customer forever. But how do we get them in? Um, the sales pitch is just if you want to be entertained and have the the best professional sports experience you could ever have, it's the NLL, regardless whether it's in Texas or if it's somewhere else. Um, you know, we're hoping to see that grow. I think Texas needs a team. I think the sport has grown like crazy in general, just the sport of lacrosse in the state of Texas. Uh, just got to figure out the sales plan to, to fill that building. Give a shout out for 613 Lacks. You've talked about your your career growing up and, and where you started and, and where you are now. There probably weren't a lot of Ottawa guys in the NLL when you first started. Um, but now we're seeing more and more come in. And it's it's a product of the growth of the game across North America. How proud are you are to be an Ottawa born and raised lacrosse player? Yeah, very much. You know, um, it's why I associate to Tulsa really well, because Ottawa lacrosse, when I was growing up, was very much like Tulsa lacrosse. The sport had been around, but it was dads who maybe played a little bit of house league or something at best that were coaching. Um, so to see the level of play, I think it might be the strongest or one of the strongest minor organizations in the Nippian Knights in uh, in all of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um that's kudos to Matt Firth and Jason Tosse, two of the best youth coaches I think I've ever been around. And um, they, they put their sweat equity into it and you're seeing the fruits of that labor. So we hope everybody that's coming behind them can mimic what they've done. Um, but yeah, man, these, these kids that I coach when I started my auto capitals and I've coached into PN and stuff, it's, it's full circle. I'm now getting to play with them. And I tell almost every one of them when I shake their hands, if I'm playing against them, that how proud I am, you know, I saw, Every time I get a chance, I saw Madronic the other day and when we played Sask and, you know, just letting those guys know whether it means anything to them or not, how incredibly proud I am of of watching them. I think for me, the biggest imprint I, I want to have with lacrosse is I think you guys as, as ex-professionals, uh, you're staying involved in the league, so you're still relevant. But when we stop playing a professional sport, unless we are the GOATs, which I am not, um, we get forgotten really quickly, whether we play it or not. That's our legacy will will die out. Uh, being able to live vicariously through some of the players that, you know, we had a hand in getting them to the level and and help them grow, grow into the players that they are. If we can live vicariously through their careers, that's how I want to leave my impact on the game, hopefully. And it's it's not a I'm such a great coach thing. It's just I'm so proud of the, the kids that we've worked with and I'm able to sit back and watch them be successful and, and have long careers. Along those lines, I've always said, you know, I, when I'm coaching, I always hope that kids are able to have just half the experiences that I've been lucky enough to have through lacrosse. Is there any standout memories or standout experiences that you've had in lacrosse that just like kind of stick to, to what this sport has meant to you? Um, I think the, the character and man that I've become is from the dedication and work that I've put into the sport. Um, I sacrificed a lot to try to be good at this sport. I, you know, I didn't get a job when I probably should have because I, I'm just not a person who was going to work nine to five and then put in the, uh, the workouts and the, you know, four plus hours a day of training that 
is needed to try to be the best in the world at this. Um, so I think that's what stands out is, is this sport has really helped groom me into the man, the businessman, the father, and all these things that I've, that I've become is a lot of it is this sport. And for me, it was the dedication as a professional, not the dedication I had when I was growing up. I wasn't a gym rat growing up. I, I just, you know, I played, I was always out in the backyard and shooting and I, and I did things uniquely, but I didn't take it to a professional level or a work ethic level until I was a professional. And then once I did, I went full boat, you know, two a days and everything. And I lived that life for a really long time. Um, when others were being a lot smarter and getting jobs, I think I went into like $60,000 debt of money. I didn't have just, we got paid $7,000 a year playing my rookie year. Right. So there was a lot of bad life choices that I did, but it was gambles I made on myself. And I think having to figure out how to get out of some sticky situations because I wasn't willing to forfeit the work needed to try to be as good as I can. Um, you know, I credit a lot of those things to way that I live life and do things now. And I wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for the NLL. And then obviously just being able to see some places in the world, the sport gets you, you can go do some cool things. I've only reason I first saw Hawaii other than a family trip that I've taken since is because of the sport. You know, I got somebody wanted to go to a Hawaii trip. Um, you know, I have had opportunities to go coach in Europe simply because of my professional career. I haven't taken them because I wanted to continue to be a professional, but there's a lot, this, this sport can allow you to go see the world when at times you might not be able to do it on your own. So there's just, you know, I'm thankful for those things. Um, was Mitch ever a guest on uh, Showtime at the downtowner? Oh yeah. Mitch was not Mr. Luxurious was. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> my bad. And that's, that's, that's when Mitch, Mr. Luxurious really took off. I think so. Yeah. I think that was day one of Mr. Luxurious, right? I don't know if it was day one, but credit to, yeah, I'll give credit to Showtime at the, at the downtowner for, for bringing my name to the household lips and ears of everyone in Minnesota. Man, there was some like the, uh, was it Matt Kelly? Oh yeah. Matt Kelly from that Chicago. Was so incredibly hilarious that I couldn't help. There was nothing scripted. It's not even that I'm a good, whatever host that was, but the, the answer to the things that happened on some of that was, that was a good memory because those guys were hilarious. <laughs> um, you know, obviously you're still playing. You're, you're virgin on 1,200 points. You're still looking for that elusive championship in the NLL, and you talked about leaving a legacy. But after the game, do you want to get into coaching? Do you want to get into management? Do you want to be like us pundits and get behind a microphone? What's, what's, um, what's, what's, what's the what's next challenge for, for Callum Crawford? For a long time, I really wanted to get into coaching. I think – it's the travel has caught up to me for the, and that's, that's a big reason why I'm, I'm playing where I am now. Um, I don't know if it's fair to my wife and my family for when I finally do retire to continue to travel and be away from them and, and miss the things that I have been missing um, to extend my career in coaching. And I don't mean this in purely just the dollar signs, but coaches, especially assistant coaches, it takes a while to really make good money to make it make sense financially. Um, so I don't have that leverage that I'm helping the family a ton by doing that. So, uh, I don't know if coaching would be a route that I necessarily would go at least right away. Cause I, I'm just indebted to my family so much for how much they've allowed me to continue to do what I do. And like I said, I've missed a lot as a dad already, just in my kids short time. And that started to take a lot of toll that I don't want to miss more. So I don't know if I'd be staying in coaching, but the one thing that really does, um, the business side is something that interest me, you know, and, and in a business side, in the sense of how to make something successful, like we talked about, right, how to make the Fort Worth Panther City 
something like that successful. Do I have a recipe or know-how? No, but I think uh, that is a challenge or something that really intrigues me and my brain tends to kind of be like, well, how can we fill this place? How can we make it a successful business? So maybe one day if there is an opportunity um, to work in a, in a business side for a team or something would be something that interests me, but no immediate plans right now. I'm not trying to hang them up quite yet. Let's see if I can uh, pull out a couple more years. Your son got a stick in his hand yet? Yeah, both my kids are playing for sure. Actually, my uh, my youngest son's coach texted me before his first spring game last week saying, can you, and he's only five, he said, can you please have a talk with Nash and tell him there's no crease dives? <laughs> I told you, jumping, twi- do, jumping twisters. No, no, no. So they're on the dive, and it's more of like a fall. Yeah, right. And I, I've never, I'm not taught this to my kids whatsoever. I was like, he's crease diving? What are you talking about? And I guess he did one in his game. I missed it for some reason. I don't know what I was paying attention to, but he tried to do one, I guess, in his game on the weekend. So Amazing. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate this, man. Uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. You've done so much for the game on and off the floor. Uh, good luck this weekend against Albany. Uh, say hi to the family. Enjoy the short short drive from Tulsa to Fort Worth, and uh, we'll catch up soon, man. I will. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, there's Callum Crawford, and I love just him talking about the special relationship between a coach and a player and how he's now getting to the stage in his career, and, and I'm I'm there now on the outside looking in where guys that I have coached in minor when they were young kids are now into the national lacrosse league. It's such a special feeling of gratitude and hard work and dedication that a coach has. And I don't know if a lot of people really understand that bond that coaches and players have to that extent of seeing them all the way through everything they've worked for. Well, and it's such a cyclical nature, right? The the self-fulfilling prophecy, because we talked earlier about he, Koluski, who's now his head coach, was kind of that yeah. mentor to him. So while he didn't coach him growing up, he kind of coached him in his first years from as a teammate in the NLL. And now he's his head coach. And then now Callum's going to pass that on to guys who are playing in the league. We'll pass it on to someone else. So in terms of making an impact and a legacy, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it's all about and getting to see everything come full circle. I feel like that, that, conversation kind of talked on all the points of that um i also asked him you know what he kind of wanted to do after if he wanted to get in coaching or broadcasting or whatever and you know his answer was what it was but how did you get into broadcasting what was sort of your impetus in your um origin story of getting behind the microphone i pretty much owe everything to john arlotta um the owner of the georgia swarm so when I decided to retire after the 2017 season, he asked if there would be ways to potentially keep me involved. And, um, and that was one that, that he, I believe proposed to me as, as an opportunity to stay involved with the team, but also be able to have a few weekends back with my family, which is a big part of why I retired. Um, and so I did that first year I, I came back and I did all the home broadcasts for the Georgia swarm and had a blast doing it, learned a ton. And it's one of those things you really don't know all that goes into it. Um, but once you have the opportunity to do it, it's so much fun. Uh, and then I just realized like it was still too much flying down to Georgia every other weekend. Um, so took a year away from it. And then when the New York Riptide had a, had a team that's only about an hour away from my house and was like, this, this would be a cool opportunity and was able to, to get back in the booth. And then that parlayed into to more opportunities with the N, in the NLL. And, you know, I coach and teach lacrosse for a living. So it just seems natural to be able to break down the game, talk about 
the hows and the whys of what's happening on there. And, and I enjoy doing it. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. When you look uh, to your left and see Dave Lino's spotter board, does it give you anxiety and epilepsy? <laughs> you know, the things that you play-by-play guys do, I am like so blown away by and impressed by. So whatever it takes to get Dave Leno to where he needs to be, whatever it takes to get Brendan Glasheen and Teddy Jenner to the spot they need to be, everyone has their own methods. But but you guys, I always say this to anyone who asks me about broadcasting, like the play-by-play guys, they are the talent. We are just like along for the ride and get to talk shop with our friends. It's the best, it's the best job ever. It's the play-by-play guys who really you know, do, they're the, they're the lead, they're the lead in the dance. Um, they, they, they show the way they go the way and they really set us up to make life easy when we're talking about the game, which I appreciate greatly. And I've been lucky to have really great partners in my play-by-play partners. Uh, are you down in Georgia this weekend for the game? I absolutely am. I'll be back with the glass man. Looking forward to that. And Ashley Miller will be on the sideline. So game of the week, Friday night in Georgia. And that is the first game of week 18. Can the swarm stay buzzing? Or does New York kind of right the ship and, and get a performance from Cam Dunkerley? I think we're going to see an overtime game, Teddy. I'm excited for extra lacrosse this weekend. <laughs> All right, second game, Vegas at Colorado. Uh, Las Vegas could move into a fourth place tie. It's heating up in, in the West as much as we talked about the wild card coming into play. Um, there's three, four teams battling for that four spot out West. This is a massive game in Colorado. Uh, we could see some fireworks here in this one. That, that might be the biggest game of the weekend, at least in the West without question, as those two are jockeying for final or out position. Yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy to think that, you know, Colorado, Saskatchewan could miss the postseason this year and, you know, uh, a Panther City and a Vegas could somehow get in. Uh, you say that could be one of the games of the weekend out West. Well, Calgary and San Diego have entered the chat uh, battle for first place in the West. These two teams have split the season series so far. These two teams obviously have a lot of history with Westberg and Dane Doby and Curtis Dixon all going down to San Diego, leaving Calgary. There's a lot of bad blood. And when you look the way the San Diego team plays, they have a bit of a swagger. They have a cockiness to them where Calgary is very blue collar. Bring your lunch pail and hat and go to work it always leads to an entertaining game. Yeah, this is going to be an exciting one. And the, the high-powered offenses and the transition game of each of these teams, it's going to be exciting, like you said. And there is certainly no love lost between these two teams. I, I, I'm excited to get to watch the uh, watch most of that game after we wrap up down at Georgia. Uh, those three games are Friday night. Saturday, we also got three games. Buffalo at Toronto, another battle for first. It's a it's the first of two matchups between these two teams in the final four weekends. We're going to see these two teams beat the crap out of each other. And it is going to be everything a lacrosse fan has always wanted to see. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty amazing that both the Calgary San Diego game and then Buffalo Toronto feature the one, two matchup. Mm-hmm. We're getting two heavyweight fights back to back night after night. And yeah, I think defensively, these two teams are where, you know, Calgary and San Diego Sure, San Diego showed a lot of defensive poise last week against Buffalo, but I think Calgary and San Diego is going to be a fireworks fest. And then bandits and, and Toronto is going to be body shots and, and just, you know, a lot of defensive footwork out there. And I'm excited for that. Uh, if Buffalo can get Dehoga back in the lineup and, and they're starting to get healthy, you know, they're starting to get that confidence. They can go on a run, but I still marvel at the fact that 
You know, Toronto got Challen Rogers back last weekend. They're hoping to get Mitch Desnew back. They brought in Greg Downing, one of your good buddies, uh, and they still have to play Chris Corbeil this season. Like this defense just can keep getting better and better leading up for the playoffs. And that's a scary thought process. It is, but you also have to, you have to have that time to gel as a unit to understand how everyone communicates. And so that's where sometimes the roster you got might be the one that, that takes you to the championship. Even if it's, you have, you know, quote unquote, better players coming back. Granted, Mitch Snow is a game changer. Like he, if they get him back, they're going to put him back in the lineup, right? But yeah. getting used to the communication on the defensive end, getting used to knowing where your teammates are, that's a big piece of it. And I think that's where I've been so impressed with Buffalo is their ability to plug guys in more on the offensive end, but to be able to plug guys in and backfill, even though through some injuries and still continue to have that success. So good teams are able to do that. Can you build that chemistry heading into the playoffs? I'm excited. I'm calling the second Buffalo Toronto game in Buffalo, April 22nd. And that is when I have circled big time on my calendar. Albany at Panther city, obviously Panther city needs to get back on track here to stay in the hunt. They're sitting in third in the West and this is a team that continues surprises, but Albany is, is never an easy out, but this is this firewolves team is, just floundering right now. Is there a solution to kind of salvage the rest of the season? You think? I mean, in, in talking to Glenn Clark is one of my favorite coaches to talk to. I feel like he's, he's just such a, just such a straight shooter and, and tells you kind of what he thinks about everything. And he, he understands the spot they're in. And realistically, you look at who they're going to have next year. They may literally have a completely new front five yeah. next year. Yeah. And so these guys are playing for their jobs. They're playing for a role in this league. Um, and that that's a little bit of desperation that you got to play with. And they don't have a true number one. So they're going to just go out there and throw everything they have at Panther city. And, and now they get to be, you know, the grim reaper play the spoiler and try to take Panther city down one. And that's like, this is these crossover games, especially with the wild card potential. Like yeah. you have to win a crossover game. If you're a Western team, you cannot lose to an Albany or overlook them, but, but you can bet the Panther city after their loss to San Diego is, is certainly focused on getting a big win over Albany. Albany, Final game Albany on... all you Canadians say Albany, Albany, Albany. Where's the inflection there? All Albany. That's only one L. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Final game on Saturday, Vancouver at Saskatchewan. Um, obviously, Vancouver kind of has to keep winning. Saskatchewan has to keep winning. These are going to be two desperate teams. Um, Alex Bouquet has gone completely south uh, since dropping the F-bomb on TSN, and the Saskatchewan Rush team hasn't had a lot of success either. Mark Matthews um, is probably going to have his worst statistical career number wise you kind of Callum kind of mentioned it whenever you play Saskatchewan and a Derek Keenan team they're always going to be a battle but just something isn't right in that organization right now yeah you hit the nail on the head it feels like there's like a missing piece or Mm -hmm. like there's just like something is off and I thought for sure they were going to make a move at the trade deadline I thought they were going to bring in to me my my headspace was like they're going to bring Shane Jackson in. He's great buddies with Mark Matthews. They're going to work together on that left side, and they're going to make magic happen. Um, and maybe they were trying to, and Georgia just wasn't willing to part ways. But uh, that that is one that I'm a little bit like maybe they're they're kicking themselves for not having made that move at the trade deadline. But you never know. Like 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 we said, they're so dangerous at all points. They could put it all together and go on a run and and win <laughs> win the championship and 
we'll all have egg on our face. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Sunday, two Sunday fun day games. Uh, you'll be firmly planted on your couch after the return trip from Georgia. Uh, but Georgia has to go all the way to Halifax. And if Halifax is going to win this game, they got to jump on them early. Jammer's got to get going. Shanks has to be going. Clark Peterson, Boucher, like that whole offense has to be ready to go from jump. But it's going to come down to Warren Hill backstopping that defense and Graham Hossick and Withers and Tyson Bell shutting down on defensively. But this has to be a game that Halifax is purely focused on winning. Yeah, that this Halifax team perplexes me. It's kind of similar to last year where it's like mm-hmm. they can be the, every name that you mentioned is like, wow, he's good. He's great. He's amazing. <laughs> and when they work together, like I saw them dismantle the riptide early in the year. I'm like, they're never going to be stopped. But then teams find ways to neutralize them offensively and to, to get to Warren Hill. So it'll be curious to see how they match up with Georgia. Number number one guy from Georgia that I was blown away by this past weekend is Seth Oaks. That guy is an absolute ping pong ball out there just bouncing around. I should say more like a bowling ball. He is knocking people around. He had, I think, three cost turnovers, at least one of which led directly to a goal. So he, Seth Oaks, is uh, is, is a big thumbs up in my book. We'll go back to the thumbs up section for a second because <laughs> that guy that guy really impressed me. And I think he could be he could be the magic ingredient that gets this Georgia Swarm team on the on the winning track and into the playoffs. Okay. Um, you mentioned Ty Merrow and his stats and he does great work for us over at lacrosse flash. Uh, Graham Perro also does great work. If you haven't been to his NLLstats.com website, you should. Um, it's a great resource, uh, for all of us stat junkies. Uh, you can pretty much find almost anything there, but he also has a new section called the could happen section. So there's 33 games left in the season. I'm going to put you on the spot. You just don't think about it. Just first team that comes into your mind. We're going to play out the remaining 33 games. And we're going to see how the playoffs would end up in this. Love it. I played, I played with this feature the other day and it's, it's a lot of fun, but also you can get into a deep, deep hole trying to mess with the situation. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's go quick. New York, Georgia, New York, Vegas, Colorado, Colorado, Calgary, San Diego, San Diego, Buffalo, Toronto, Buff. Albany, Panther City. Panther City. Vancouver, Saskatchewan. Vancouver. Ooh. Georgia, Halifax. Halifax. Philly, Roch. Philly. Ooh, love it. Uh, Saskatchewan, Georgia. Georgia. Ooh. Albany, Rochester. Roch. Uh, Panther City, Calgary. Calgary. Vancouver, Colorado. Colorado. San Diego, Vegas. Vegas. Ooh, Vegas, Calgary. Calgary. San Diego, Colorado. Colorado. Philly, Toronto. Toronto. Georgia, Albany. Georgia. New York, Buffalo. New York. Ooh, throwing wrenches. Halifax, Saskatchewan. Halifax. Panther City, Vancouver. Panther City. Calgary, Panther City. Calgary. New York, Halifax. Halifax. Georgia, Rochester. Roch. Toronto, Buffalo. Toronto. Colorado, Saskatchewan. 
Colorado. Vegas, San Diego. San Diego. Philly, Albany. Philly. Halifax, Georgia. Georgia. Rochester, Philly. Rochester. Buffalo, Albany. Buffalo. Colorado, San Diego. Colorado. <laughs> New York, Vancouver. Ooh, this could be the number one pick game. Yeah, um, could be. Let's. I think. I think New York's going to take this one in Vancouver, right. New York. Uh, it's in Vancouver. Yeah, New York. Uh, Saskatchewan, Vegas, last game of the year. Put my money on black. Vegas, it is. All right. So if Mitch's games all play out the way they just did. Your playoffs would look like this. Buffalo Bandits would have the tiebreaker over the Toronto Rock. They'd both finish 13 and 5. Buffalo would be 1. Toronto would be 2. Rochester 12 and 6 in 3. Halifax 10 and 8 in the 4 hole. Out West. I'm I'm confident that that 4 is going to be in the Eastern Conference. I feel pretty good about that. Well, My games all, I- in the East 4 is always going to be an Eastern team. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying those four. Those four, I'm pretty oh, that's, confident that's, that's going to be. East? And I think that's going to be the order, too. Okay. Um, okay. Whether or not my games, I some of those games, I, I was doing yeah. the mental math, and I, I got lost in the sauce. <laughs> you were trying to calculate as we were going? I'm like, is that a winning streak for them? How many have I said for them? All right, out west, Calgary would finish first at 13-5. and five. San Diego second, 12-6. and six. Colorado gets in at 11-7. and seven. And Panther City at 10-8. and eight would be your four seed there would be no crossover so it would be buffalo halifax versus toronto rochester calgary panther city san diego colorado in a one game let's just keep going who wins buffalo halifax in a one game buffalo wins that toronto rochester roger sets them calgary panther city calgary san diego colorado I think Colorado goes on another miraculous run oh down the stretch. Goodness. Oh my goodness. All right. Buffalo Rochester in a best of three. Wow. The battle for Western New York, Buffalo takes it and they finally, they get back to the championship uh, championship game. Calgary, Colorado. Cause everybody loves seeing them in the playoffs. The best of three who takes it. Mm, that's going to be Calgary. Calgary's getting back to the ship. Best of three rematch of 2019 Calgary, Buffalo. Buffalo would have, uh, they never played each other, so I don't know who would have home floor, uh, but who takes it? We're getting a one-to-one, and then we're going to game three, and Chris Cloutier is scoring the game-winning goal oh, in overtime because that, that guy cannot stop scoring game-winning goals. <laughs> All right, so that's the NLL predictor. Head over to NLLstats.com and have some fun, play around with it. There's a bunch of different formulas you can do. Um, and it is a great little tool and resource for all of us weird people that love to cause chaos. Uh, time now for box bets. Um, Tom Schreiber almost had it. Let's we'll see if we can do it again. Time now for box bets. Your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> All right, last week uh, we didn't win our parlay. Uh, Tom Schreiber, we wanted him to go over three and a half. He only had one. Uh, Lyle Thompson had three. Jeff Teat needed seven and a half points. He had seven. So we lost it. 
Um, as mentioned, Pat's down at the Valero Open down in Texas. So we got him to ask some non-lacrosse fans to pick some games for us. And we got three. Panther City Moneyline, minus 127. Calgary, plus one and a half at minus 120. Philly, plus two and a half, minus, one, uh, minus 110. Throw it in the juice machine. Uh, thanks to Kubek, we are at plus 455. If you want to play along on the OTCB parlay, head over to coolbetcanada.com. Features tab, OTCB parlay will be there. Play along with us. In case you're wondering, Mitch, because I know you are, uh, San Diego Seals are the favorite right now at plus 400. Bandits plus 550. Rock plus 600. Calgary plus 650, Panther City plus 800. And then we get into the 1000 club of Halifax, Rochester, and Colorado. The long shot outside of Albany, Vancouver at plus 20,000. Not a bad $1 bet there, Teddy. Yeah, you could. Well, we're not allowed, but you could get, you know, somebody you know to. For the fans. For For the the fans to make that $1 bet. For the fans. Uh, Again, if you want to play along, cool bet canada.com features tab otcb parlay and as we always say stay cool bet responsibly uh you are off to georgia what's the flight plan i will be day of i'll be flying in friday early i you gotta drop the kids off at school and then and then head out to georgia it's a it's a quick it's a quick hop and there's uh, about 25 flights between new york area and uh, and atlanta every day so Worst case, I get on the next one. Worst case, I get on the next one. Just keep going <laughs> until I get there right for game time. Are you flying standby or something? Worst case, I drive down, you know? Um, how long is the drive from the airport to Gwinnett? It is, uh, without traffic, about 40 minutes. With traffic, about six hours and 22 minutes. Wow. No, <laughs> Atlanta Atlanta traffic is rough, but it's the, the, the airport is on the south east side and the Gwinnett is about as north and northwest of the city so you got to go all the way around or through Atlanta so it's never easy but um, not too far it's only 30 miles 25 miles um is Glash gonna cook up some post-game barbecue for you guys Uh, I don't want any of his unflavored chicken (laughs) (laughs) he's Mitch Blau you can find him on Twitter at mblau85 I'm at Teddy Jenner Pat's at P Greggy the show at OTCB underscore podcast or on the instas at OTCB Podcast. Thanks to Callum Crawford for stopping by and giving us some time. Fantastic chat with one of the greats of our game. And thanks to Mitch for stepping by and riding shotgun with me this week as Pat is enjoying the game down in the heart of Texas for some golf. But he will be on the call this weekend for the TSN Game of the Week, Buffalo at Toronto. You've got the ESPN Game Week, New York at Georgia. Enjoy the games, everybody. Take a friend, do a game. If you take a friend, take two beers friends across the bed until we speak again stay safe and be excellent to each other i am